listening to Best Served Cold, a Born Millennials podcast. The Australian true crime podcast where we drink wine and talk about crime. Formerly Egypt's 36th most popular true crime podcast, hosted by Tama J and Laura Lease. Sit down, relax, grab a drink and enjoy this week's episode. Good morning. Hello. Or, or, or evening. Yeah. Or sometime after midnight. Yeah, maybe you're, maybe you're a night crawler. This is like 2 a.m. for you. Maybe. No yeah. judgment from us. Maybe, yeah. Maybe, Welcome yeah. to another week's episode of Best Served Cold, the true crime podcast where we drink wine and talk about crime. Hope you're all having a great week. I am one of your amazing co-hosts and you're watching Disney Channel. Nice. Thanks. And I am your other co-host, Tama Tour. Voted most likely to eat an entire family-sized lasagna in one sitting. Accurate. Mm-hmm. Accurate. I like it. I like it. How's your week been, Tama? It's been it's been busy. We, we, we it's been a been a busy time lately. Um, we've had a lot of things on, a lot of working mm-hmm. on. Um, I feel like we just haven't had much time to just sit down. Yeah, I mean, I have, but yeah, I've just been I'm working, blessed. man. Yes, hashtag been working blessed. A lot. Hashtag blessed. As Scott Morrison would say. How's your week? It's been okay. I mean, it's only the start of the week. So, you know, we've got a lot of week left, but I'm remaining quietly optimistic so far. Right. Well, hopefully you stay quietly optimistic. Mm. You know, what do they say? If you don't get excited, you can't get disappointed. Is that the... I think if you don't speak a wish, it comes true. Yeah. Something Something like that. that. Anyway. Anyway. Before we jump into this week's episode, just a couple of housekeeping tips. I've even made myself a little list Ooh, now so I don't forget what they are every prepared. week. I'm prepared. So if you're new around here, you can follow us on social media. You can check us out on all social platforms, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, at the BSC podcast. Uh, give us a follow, share, tag us, all that fun stuff. I also realized I haven't mentioned for like the longest time that we used to do a segment where people would send in their own quick little recorded stories of connections with cults or serial killers or like hometown murder stories. We used to do it every week and then we forgot. Do you know what's crazy and is why I think we're like soulmates what i was just thinking about this today wild we're like for some something some weird thing happens between us where we just like empathically feel things yeah but yeah we used to do we used to do it we used to include it in every week's episode when we had you know and then i completely forgot so if you are someone who's you know uh nan was I'm trying to think of alliteration. I can't. But if you have a, you know, close encounter of the serial killer cult kind or like a ghost story or something that mm. you'd like to submit, um, feel free to get in touch. Uh, you can send us an email or a message. All we would need is like a super quick recording of you basically just yeah. telling your story. It's a chance for you to be featured on the show as well. Yeah. You get to tell all your friends that you were on the show and you can hear your own voice. Which can be very confronting, but it's fun. Yeah. Um, Yeah, we would also love it if you haven't already. If 
you wouldn't mind leaving us a review on Apple and or Spotify. I think those are the only two things you can review on. I uh, would very much appreciate it. It does help boost the show in the charts and get it out to more people and all that jazz. And, you know, tag, uh, share our episodes on socials, tag Spotify, tag Apple and be like, yo. Yeah. Spotify. Because we're, we're on up? all things social. Um, so Instagram is where you can find a lot of our yeah. posts. And the last housekeeping thing before we jump into Tama's part two of mm-hmm. his story. If you are new around here, we like to give a little disclaimer at the start that we do tend to favor the curse words on this show. Indeed. Uh, so if you are someone who does not like to hear the F's and the S's and the MF's and the the D's and the C's, then we would kindly request that you exit through the gift shop and please do not leave us a one-star review on Apple. The frigs, the darns. None of that here. The shids. We go straight for the the fucks. Yeah. No fucks given. uh, All fucks given, in fact, All fucks given. All of the fucks. So many fucks. No frigs given. No frigs given. All the fucks. Put it on a t-shirt. All fuck, no fudge. (laughs) All right. So... This is, I guess, a continuation of what I talked about in my last uh, case, my last episode. So if you haven't listened to that, I would strongly advise that you do listen to it because it is a, a vital, I guess not a vital, but it is... A you kind of need it to make sense of the But it's also part. just a very interesting story. And you can listen to this whole segment I and mean, you know, it's fine, but it's like to get the entire... A image of everything in the entire story it's much more fulfilling so last episode just to give a recap we talked about hello games and their game they released called no man's sky so the idea was a completely procedurally generated game with infinite universes and just boundless possibilities a plethora of featured promise features promised uh, from an indie developer uh, gaming studio which was just unheard of to have such a meteoric rise and it just came crashing down. Features weren't delivered upon. The game was unfinished and just seemingly a studio lying through their teeth about what the game was. Well, this episode, I kind of wanted to cover potentially a different side of the story, one that not really a lot of people know and didn't really get publicize as much and kind of will make you think about the implications of media and how media works and how it kind of tarnishes our Mm. perspectives and our point of view and our perceptions on things. So just to, I guess, gloss over all of that, we're going back to the perspective of Sean and Hello Games. So they just released Joe Danger 2, which was the sequel to their relatively successful game, Joe Danger. And it didn't go the way they wanted it to go. Not really huge. And Sean, having worked on uh, with EA and noticing that a lot of AAA games were falling into the just the sequel, uh, just nothing but sequels and just that stale repetitiveness just didn't want to work on sequels anymore so he began prototyping the game now known as Snowman Sky so they worked really hard and managed to get a trailer out for VGX in 2013 and this is where the hype train fully starts 
this is where everything kicks off. And they're almost forced to completely take this project seriously. I mean, it completely takes off. Mm. They're a team of five people and it's just... The trailer just goes absolutely crazy. So the pressure is on. To add to the stress of this, Sean is in his late 20s and he starts a family. Now, during the entirety of the development of No Man's Sky, Sean would go on to have three kids. Jesus. Three children. Pumping them out. While he's developing this game in a small studio he started in South London. South England. That's my worst nightmare. So the team were expecting... Some well-deserved time off during Christmas break in 2013. However, things would not exactly slow down for them or be made any easier. In Christmas 2013, South England would see rain so bad it caused dramatic flooding all over, including the offices of Hello Game. So the team at Hello Games came back to their office only to find the entire place flooded around waist-level water, a large majority of their equipment damaged. Now, thankfully, all of their their data still remained intact, though the damages to the office, of course, dramatically stunted their progress in working on anything, as you can imagine. Now, sometime after that, they were again halted in progress by not one, but two potential lawsuits. The first was with a Dutch company named Genicap, who claimed that Hello Games were using a super formula that was owned and patented by a member of their board and chief research officer at Genicap. They had a meeting, and when it was found that, in reality, Sean had not used the, quote, super formula, or there was no real cause to Mm. license it, the case was dropped and nothing really happened with it. The second, and probably the most, so bizarrely, was with Sky Television. So Sky Television trademarks the word Sky, and in the past, they've even gotten companies like Microsoft to change... SkyDrive to what is now known as OneDrive. So they were threatening a lawsuit onto Hello Games if they did not remove the Sky from the title. This one wasn't just over in a couple meetings either. This one was lasted for about three years, right up until a month before the launch of the game. Oof, that's stressful. Yeah. So as I mentioned before, Hello Games were approached by Sony to publish No Man's Sky. The trade-off would be that a lot, and I mean a lot of press, would need to be done for the game. And that they did. Almost wholly independently, they were interviewed and a lot of articles were made. And I also mentioned how small the team was. They didn't have anyone who was literally qualified for PR. So ultimately, it led to Sean Murray, the owner of the fucking company and lead developer, to do it himself. So now Sean and Hello Games are locked into a deadline with constant press, all while being a young developing studio Sean himself being in his 30s and totally inexperienced with this kind of deal. But of course, how are you going to turn it down? This is this would have set the studio up for, for mm. good. This expanded the team, set up Sean's family. And I should mention too, and I'm not too sure if I mentioned this in the last episode, to get the studio going, Sean actually sold his house. So this was exactly what he they needed. were working towards. Yeah. They were, this is the idea, get the get, get the company started and... This is going to be the game that sets us up. So when May 2016 comes around, they need to delay, uh, obviously. However, of course, they're going to need to get the time off. They actually, they aren't going to get the time they actually need. Uh, instead, Sony would only allow them to delay six weeks to August when realistically they needed maybe like six to eight months or more to finish the game. So this can help give some context as to why the game was missing so many features and elements. 
So early on in the VEGX 2013 trailer, Hello Games included a bunch of features they thought would be realistic enough to be included in the game come launch day, which is fair enough. They're a, they're a small team. They think, you know, we, we should be able to do this. This topped with the game being priced as a AAA title uh, also led to the game having just high expectations. So this is sitting on the marketplace with other games, with studios having hundreds of thousands of employees, literal other companies working together in one big mother company to make a title that has a, a streamlined progress. This was being priced as the same as these titles. So mm-hmm. it had some high expectations for it. And I should mention how absolutely abnormal this is for an indie developer to, to have this happen. It's Not only is it, is it extremely rare for any game whatsoever to reach the level of hype that No Man's Sky got, the closest thing I can even think of would be Cyberpunk 2077, which was made by CD Projekt Red, who, if you know, are the creators of The Witcher 3, and they're, aka, a huge fucking studio. Yeah. Hundreds of employees. And it's already so rare for that to happen, and yet a team of five to eventually 12 people achieved that. No other indie game developer has really even gotten close to anything like that. So, for instance, if the game was priced lower to a more appropriate indie game price tag, like $30 um, US, or an early release version was made accessible to the public, this wouldn't be a huge deal. But the swollen retail price of the game set a high expectation, and for the game to be, you know, at least completed. So you have the press junket, the features Sean mentions, it, it all just eventually adds up. The press and the interviews too, Sean not being a PR manager or qualified for anything like that. He's very much an introverted and extremely anxious person when having to present the game. I mean, he's a he's a lead developer. He's not a salesman. He's not mm. a PR manager. He has to go on stage with to thousands of people to talk about his project. And he even states it as the hardest thing he's ever had to do. Despite this, during the three years of the development, uh, 2013 to 2016, he would do these interviews regardless. And the deal with Sony meant that they couldn't just straight up tell people to manage their expectations. It would have to be, it would be a huge fuck you to Sony to for dedicating their time and resources into marketing the game to just be like, guys, it's not sure. going to be the game you yeah. want. So in terms of the interviews, the missing features and the features brought up in the interviews, when you look at how an indie game would flow versus a AAA company, which would have hundreds of thousands of employees working with them, might streamline the games after years of experience and dedicated employees for each different role, contact points. It makes sense that Hello Games would have been different, a team of five to 12 people. It's trying to include several different things, trying new things, seeing if this works, seeing if that works, a constant flow of ideas and developments and being an experienced young team, there's just no way any of them are going to know exactly how the game is going to look a few years out from release. It's just mm. not plausible to to have that ex- expectation on them. So if something Sean mentioned in, in an interview in 2013 is expected to be in the game upon release in 2016, it's entirely possible that the feature was going to be in the game. However, it would have been scrapped either for technical issues or in favor of another feature. But that, of course, isn't no knowledge. Mm. But when you think about it, a small team versus a team of hundreds, it's a very plausible thing. Makes sense. It's not so much that they lied and didn't include something they promised, but rather the 
tiny team of developers tried something that was mentioned and it just didn't work out for the final release. So one example was this, of this was the uh, planets rotating, orbiting around the sun, creating a day and night cycle. So this actually was in the game, but it was scrapped during the beta, which is when um, beta testers can test the game, give uh, feedback, and players reported it thinking it was a bug. So they completely took it out in total. Right. So another key element to mention is just how media works. So Sean mentions quite often how little the team is, how very much he doesn't like talking about the game and how much it sort of stresses him out a bit. And you can see through his body language, it's just he's just not a very extroverted person. Uh, but he and he wants to make sure everyone knows like how pressured they are to make this game and exactly what they're doing and how they're literally just an indie dev company trying to make this game. Though articles and interviews and media, they don't work this way. They don't just say what would work best for the company. They want what's best for clicks. Yeah. That's how it works. So Sean mentioning their small team, uh, you know, whatever. That's not clickable. For them though, if they mention, if Sean or whatever mentions a feature then boom, article with a big title, Hello Games confirms X, Y, Z feature for No Man's Sky. Mm. It's confirmed. That's how it works. Even if he just says, someone asks him, will there be this? And he's like, oh yeah, yeah, there'll, there'll be something like that. Yeah. Boom, article. This is confirmed. So having delayed the game already, it's it has to come out. It, it's unfinished and the team know that. They're stressed, they're worried and they're ultimately disappointed with the where they're at they're immediately met with hate frustration death threats people showing up to their studio people labeling sean as a liar and a fraud and their worst fears of disappointing the public is now a reality now the thing about the interviews is it's clear to see sean loves games and he loves what they're doing with the studio but he's just a lead producer he's not a salesman and you know this is abnormal for for that to even happen in the first place i mean he was on the fucking colbert report of all things yeah. like it's just abnormal so after the game is released it's a complete shit fire and everyone is hating on hello games and sean and they had to make they that that was that was it that's where they were at now they made a lot of money from the game and i'm talking like tens of millions of dollars yeah. like a lot of get more money than they've ever fucking seen from anything so they're left with this. They can either cut the losses, take the money, work on the next project, become the next big hated company like EA or whatever, make their next game, people will buy it, but they'll forever be hated amongst the game community. Mm. Or they can sit down, finish the game and do what they always wanted to do, make a game that they love. And they chose the latter. So they, the team start to rectify the game and start rebuilding it. So they begin this by fixing the bugs and technical issues. Sean gets the team to ignore all negative press and negative words about the game. And he actually reroutes literally all of it to his own personal devices. Now this includes forum posts, emails, articles, player feedback, all of which is going straight to Sean and no one else. Now he doesn't just ignore this bad press as well. He, He doesn't ignore it whatsoever. He takes all of it and he begins breaking it down into data, 
focusing mostly on people who genuinely played the game and experienced it. From this, he develops a huge list of features that they've mentioned that aren't in the game and things that people want in the game or people want to fix in the game. And they start working to, one by one, eliminate all the features on that list and introduce them into the game. So learning from their mistakes with the press junkets, the team completely avoid any press whatsoever and all communication with the public in in general. So they solely focus on just fixing the game. Anything they would say anyway would just be met with criticism. Yeah, and exacerbate it. Yeah. So this is where we got up to with the last episode. Hello Games are going completely radio, radio silent. There's nothing from them. Three months go by, the general public uh, believing... Hello Games has been shut down and No Man's Sky has just been completely abandoned. And this is where the rumors of them taking the money and the company being shut down start circulating. However, finally, after three months of nothing, Hello Games come out with the foundation update for No Man's Sky. Now, with this major update, several new features are implemented, including base building, game modes, camping, farming, freighters, and large amount of bug fixes. It still wasn't the game that they promised, but it was a definite start. And soon after, they went back to, to work on the next step. A few more months go past, and the Pathfinder update is released. With this came online base sharing, owning more than one ship, starship specializations, multi-tool specializations, um, permadeath modes, drivable vehicles. And then a few months after that, there was the Atlas Rises update comes with an overhaul to the game's story, new worlds, crash freighters, space combat, terrain editing, portals, mission systems, interstellar trading, and multiplayer, joint exploration. Mm, All promised features that are now in the game. And at this point, many people are like, wow, this this game is actually pretty good. This is uh, starting to become the game that was promised. And videos, articles, everything's coming out and they're starting to paint Hello Games in much more of a positive light. It's still far from a completed game or what they promised, but this is a good game mm. and it's starting to get even better. And the thing is, Hello Games didn't stop there. They kept on going and they even grew their team from 15 at this point to 25. With this, Sean and Hello Games were becoming more active on social media and they were interacting with their fans much, much more. And after a few more months... No Man's Sky Next is released and it's a huge patch, like gigabytes of data. With this came full multiplayer experience, uh, ringed planets, third person mode, character customization, a galactic atlas on an external website, an overhaul to the resources, base building, crafting, and the game being released for Xbox. Now with the release for Xbox, No Man's Sky was actually the sixth best-selling game for consoles in July 2018 and managed to make its way back onto Steam's top 10 bestsellers, all while bringing in another $24 million across all platforms. Jesus. The best thing is, they still didn't stop. They kept fucking going. They released the Abyss, which has allowed underwater, underwater exploration, bases, new creatures, and then after that came Visions with new biomes, more things to explore, and then came No Man's Sky Beyond came free VR support, overhauls to NPCs, technology trees, better base building, more multiplayer, rideable animals. That's and more. That's and there's cool. more coming out. More coming out. Then now the game is not only 
has several features that were promised, but they have entirely new features that were never even mentioned that they're just chucking in there. Mm. They're working on things that they think are interesting and creative and they're just going, done. There are still some features that they promised, and I put air quotes around promise because they don't necessarily really promise anything, but the game is definitely closer, if not exceeding the expectations for what it would have been. So what makes Hello Games a beacon of light in the gaming industry that it sorely needs is that they sat down, put on their big boy pants, and finished the fucking game. And they did it in the best way possible. They they didn't jump ship. They didn't add microtransactions or paywalls. Mm. They And they made another $24 million. Yeah. Legit. They did it the right way, and they were, they were successful. They were... Mm. They were it, it it worked out perfectly for them. They did everything that every other AAA company would not do. They did fucking right by the company, the the gamers. Yeah. So with this, No Man's Sky receives several amounts of awards, like a, a lot of awards, and justifiably. It's also revered amongst the community, gamers, uh, redditors, um, articles, and the subreddit for No Man's Sky, which held just like bugs and issues and everything changed to being just anything no man's sky like fun things that they found praise and they even started a gofundme to pull together money to have a billboard installed that was near the hello games office with the sign thanking hello games for finishing the game oh that's so wholesome and it's interesting because it shows this company that had this meteoric meteoric rise so much more so than maybe any other game company along the lines of like cyberpunk 2077 yeah that kind of thing saw this huge rise and were completely destroyed when it came out and didn't stop they fixed the game came back and now it's a very successful game Mm. and the company is thriving i like that story yeah it's a happy ending. <coughs> Maybe you should have gone second. Oh, well, we, we bring you up, then we bring you down. It's a roller coaster. Yeah. Yeah. But that is the phenomenon of No Man's Sky. Um, and there is a, a case that's similar that it could have gone in. Like, uh, it could have gone in the direction of a game called Fallout 76, which is made by a game, game developer called Bethesda. And they're one of those AAA companies, really big companies. And the things they did were fucking heinous. Mm. They, I won't go too much into it, but they essentially, rather than fixing the game, put it behind like paywalls. So you had to pay to play the game after That's already stupid. buying the game. That's so dumb. It's just like they, they cut so their losses stuff. and they're like, let's try to make as much money as we can from it. Yeah. But that's that. I like that story. <coughs> well done. Thank you. Stop coughing. I'm sorry. I've been talking a lot. Have your tea. I will. Well, I think we're going to take our quick little break and we will catch you after our little pee-pee break. Yep, pee-pee-poo-poo. For my story. Yeah. Oh, 
right, welcome back. Welcome, welcome back. What have you got for us today, Laura? Okay, so it's kind of sort of two stories that is one story, but it's two stories. It'll make sense when I get into it. Mm -hmm. So I do want to give a really big, uh, just a trigger warning at the beginning of this one for any listeners who may be trans or maybe from just the, I guess, queer community in general. Um, this story involves the death of and and the murder of of trans people. So I do just want to give a really big trigger warning for yeah. that before we get into it. So on this week's episode, I'm going to be, as I said, discussing two separate stories, which is the murder of Venus Extravaganza, as well as another story regarding Dorian Corey, uh, who were two prominent players from the documentary Paris is Burning. Mm -hmm. So for a little backstory for anyone who has not seen it or might not be familiar with what Paris is Burning is, it is a legendary documentary which was filmed from the mid to late 1980s and it basically chronicles the uh, drag, but in particular the ball culture of New York City and the African-American, Latino, gay and transgender communities who created and were involved in in that scene. So the title takes its name from the Paris is Burning Ball, which is held annually by artist Paris Dupree. So the documentary is directed by Jenny Livingston and the film itself alternates between footage of the balls themselves and then interviews with prominent members of the scene. The film's main key players are Dorian Corey, Pepper LeBeja and Junior LeBeja, Venus Extravaganza and Angie Extravaganza, Octavia St. Laurent, Willie Ninja, Sol Pendavis-Williams and Freddie Pendavis. The film talks a lot about how all these beautiful people deal with really heavy issues like the AIDS epidemic that was obviously very huge, huge at that time, yeah. racism, poverty, violence and homophobia and transphobia. And then some, such as Venus Extravaganza, go into detail talking about how they have become sex workers to also help support themselves. So during this time, the balls also provided an escape from the terror of the AIDS crisis itself. Willie Ninja and Oct Octavia St. Laurent, two of Paris's burning subjects, struggled with AIDS for several years and died in their early 40s. So if you are a fan of RuPaul's Drag Race, oh my gosh, RuPaul Bagway, RuPaul Bag Race, uh, which I know some of you listeners are, of or course, if you've yeah. seen a lot of other shows that either directly reference or kind of take cues from the drag or camp scene. Um, American Horror Story is a great one that takes a lot of cues mm -hmm. from the drag scene. Um, this movie explains a lot of the language that is very synonymous with drag culture, like reading, shade, all those sorts of like words that you hear four million times on Drag Race. Yes. So there are two different stories that I want to discuss regarding two different characters who feature in Paris is Burning. So that is the murder of Venus Extravaganza and the bizarre discovery of Robert Worley's body and the involvement of Dorian Corey. So the first one I will talk about is Dorian Corey. And I did first off just want to read a quote from Paris is Burning, which is spoken by Dorian, which I just came across and it's not really relevant to this particular story, but I just thought it was so beautiful. I just... These stories are both so sad, so I just wanted to read something that wasn't sad. Of course. 
So Dorian said in Paris is Burning, everybody wants to leave something behind them, some impression, some mark upon the world. And then you think you've left a mark on the world if you just get through it and a few people remember your name. Then you've left a mark. You don't have to bend the world. I think it's better to just enjoy it. Pay your dues and enjoy it. If you shoot an arrow and it goes real high, hooray for you. I just That's nice. that was beautiful. Yeah, that is very lovely. So Dorian Corey was born June 6, 1937 in Buffalo, New York. She studied fashion design at the prestigious Parsons School of Design and began performing in the 60s in an act called the Pearl Box Review where she performed with a live bowl constrictor. By the 70s, Dorian is an absolute power player of the New York drag scene, going to win over 50 grand prizes from voguing balls with some seriously legendary looks. Wow. One of her most memorable looks that... um, she's often remembered for was a feather cape which was nine meters by 12 meters so she enters the stage wearing this cape and sheds down to a sequined bodysuit and then two attendants raise the cape up on poles to produce a giant feathered tent that covers half the audience just amazing yeah so an absolute pillar of the new york scene and it's a tragic loss when in 1993 at the age of 56 dorian corey passes away due to aids related complications now, you would think this is where the story stops, but it does not. In October of 1993, Louis Taylor, a fellow drag performer and Dorian's caretaker, in her final days before she passes away, enters Dorian's apartment. Taylor enters with two other men to go through Dorian's extensive costume and fabric collection to try and sell a small fraction of it. They rifle through the absolutely bursting apartment before coming across a large closet with a green plaid garment bag sort of folded over itself on Mm -hmm. the floor. Uh, Unable to physically lift the bag and not being able to find the zipper, they begin to cut into the bag with scissors and are instantly hit with a horrendous smell and call the police. Police arrive and begin to look into the bag properly, cutting through multiple layers of fabric, plastic and faux leather before they finally properly uncover the contents of the bag. A partially mummified corpse in the fetal position with a single bullet hole in the head. Whoa. Within the bag, they also find multiple uh, pull tops from what's called a flip top beer can. So the popularity of these types of cans within the U.S. was really from the 60s to 70s, which led detectives to guess that the body had likely been stuffed in the closet for up to 20 years. Holy shit. Despite the condition of the body, because it was sprinkled with a lot of bicarb soda and wrapped so tightly, all of the chemical reactions that happened don't really decompose. It's kind of partially mummified. Wow, that is amazing. Fingerprints are actually able to be taken and the body is identified as Robert Worley. He was estranged from his family and hadn't been seen since 1968, which further solidifies the police's guess that he'd been shot around 20 years prior. Worley had been arrested for raping and assaulting a woman in 1963 and had served three years in prison. Now, this crime has, mind you, never formally been solved largely due to the fact that Dorian Corey had passed away prior to the body being discovered Mm -hmm. as well as both men involved in the crime were deeply marginalized both being African-American and from you know sexually orientated groups that in the 60s and 70s were just largely 
forgotten about. Police by didn't law really give a fuck about these people. There are multiple theories as to what happened to Robert Worley. So some range from Worley simply having entered Dorian's apartment to rob her. Dorian did own a gun, which was confirmed by friends, and some surmise that she shot Worley in entirely self-defense. And then fearing no sympathy. Uh, fearing that she would get no sympathy or worse, have the finger pointed at her, simply panicked and disposed of the body in a way that she thought would never be found. Some other people surmise that perhaps uh, Dorian being such a figurehead in the, you know, drag, trans and queer communities and being, I guess, a mother figure for a lot of people was potentially covering up for someone who had really murdered Wally. However, most believe that Dorian and Wally were romantically involved and had a terribly turbulent and violent relationship that ended in the death of Robert. However, no answer will likely ever be known. Dorian was part of a highly marginalised world and her life, even the sensationalised end, attracted very little attention from law enforcement or the wider public. Of course, yeah. Despite all of this, Dorian Corey's legacy remains one of major importance to the transgender, drag and ball communities, in particular her hand in the development of voguing as a cornerstone of, cornerstone cornerstone. of New York ball culture. Yeah. So going back to Paris' burning, within the document... I can't speak to You're tonight. doing well today. Within the documentary, there is a section where Angie Extravaganza learns of the murder of Venus Extravaganza. And again, I just know that the trans community in particular is one that's so heavily persecuted and discriminated against. I just really, like, again, want to give a, preface, a bit of a yeah. trigger warning. So I want to first talk a little bit about Venus herself. So Venus was born on May 22nd in 1965 in Jersey City. She was Italian-American on one side and Puerto Rican on the other and had a pretty big family with four brothers. And there isn't a lot you can really find on her early life. The earliest you can see is that from around age 13 or 14 when she began performing for the first time in secret. And it's around this time that her identity as a trans woman and a drag performer is discovered by her parents. And Venus tells people that she opted to move out of home as she didn't want to embarrass them. Family members who were interviewed on the 30th anniversary of Venus's death do maintain that the family didn't necessarily have a bad attitude towards her and it was her choice to move out. In 1983, Venus moves to New York and this is where her career in the New York ball scene begins and she is invited to join the House of Extravaganza by its founder, Hector Vale. Shortly after meeting Hector and joining the House of Extravaganza, Hector also passes away from AIDS-related complications in 1985 and Angie Extravaganza takes on the role of house mother and takes Venus under her wing as her drag daughter. Venus starts to make a name for herself within the dragon ball scene and this is all kind of happening at the same time while Paris's Burning is being filmed. Venus is also trying to make a career for herself as a model and is looking to uh, financially support her full physical transition. Now, it's not a secret that she was supporting herself through sex work. Uh, She's very open about this. 
and she was working as a sex worker at the time of her death. So combining Venus being a sex worker, a trans woman, and a prominent figure in the queer community, it's no surprise that it seems like very little was ever done to properly investigate her death. And there's also very little information surrounding her death available to review. What we do know is that on Christmas Day in 1988, at the age of only 23, Venus is found in the Duchess Hotel stuffed under a bed and she had been strangled to death. At the time the news was discovered, Paris is Burning was still filming and the final minutes of the film do include footage of Angie Extravaganza reacting to the news of Venus's death. Angie was in fact the first person who the police approached to, quote, investigate her death. To this day, the murder of Venus remains yet another tragic loss of someone from the trans community who is very much cast aside by law enforcement. Angie surmised that it was highly likely that Venus was murdered by one of her clients who left with her body not being found for three to four days after her murder. In Paris's Burning, Venus herself describes a time that she narrowly escaped an attack by a man who discovered that she was trans and it is possible that her murder had occurred in a similar situation. From what I could read, there were never any major suspects, nor did police ever really come close to apprehending anyone for Venus's murder. Venus is buried at Holy Cross Cemetery in North Arlington, New Jersey, and the House of Extravaganza remains active in the ball circuit nightlife and activism within the New York landscape, and it's one of the oldest active houses in New York City. Wow. And that is the story of, I guess, Paris is burning in in general. Yeah, and that's where, I guess, like, if you have heard the segments in RuPaul's Drag Race about the the library and reading, that's kind of where it comes from. And um, the term shade, the term reading, um, a lot of, like... Like that language drag culture. comes from yeah. the New York ball scene and Paris is burning basically kind of like encapsulates all yeah. of Yeah, a very fascinating documentary. Yes, I would highly recommend giving it a watch mm-hmm. if you haven't already. It is, I mean, it's very, it's very sad obviously yeah, because but, it's, but I, it's dealing with all these horrible, it's <clears throat> like it's dealing with beautiful stories of like friendship and community but it's Mm. also dealing with a lot of like the AIDS epidemic at that time was horrendous within the queer community and it took the lives of so many people and that's a big part of the people in Paris is burning that was obviously a huge part of their life and a huge fear Mm. that they all lived with every single day as well as just being marginalised and cast aside by society in general. Uh, But I think it's also important to know, especially as consumption of drag media is becoming much more of a a widespread thing, Mm. to know the culture of drag and where it comes from, not only like for drag, but for ties to the African-American community, the AIDS epidemic with... Uh, homosexuals in general just in the early stages of the 60s all the way up to the early 90s like just that whole time period of just Mm. 
where we've where it's all come from and where it is now to know that. Yeah, and the people that fought to get it exactly, to where yeah. it is today. Yeah. But yeah, that was why I was kind of saying maybe you should have gone second because it's kind of it's yeah. it's very sad. I mean, it's definitely sad, but it's also it's that like you want to know it's important to know this. Yeah, and I will say that you know Maybe because there is so little to find about her death, but I have not really ever heard many podcasts or like, you know, mainstream media talk about her death. And I feel like it is something important to, to mention and talk about. Yeah. Because, you know, this is... We're, we're big fans of the drag community and we are an, uh, an LGBT plus friendly podcast. You know, this is, and it's important to recognize where these communities come from, what they had to go through and these significant stages in history. Yeah. And what they still go through. Exactly. Sadly yeah. today. Exactly. But anyway, this is the end of the cases segment of our show. So we uh, basically just cover the cases and then we talk a bit at the end. This is where we sort of talk about just general things, the show, everything else. So if you're just here for the cases, then thank you very much for joining us. Please exit through the gift shop and uh, we'll see you guys next week. And if you're here for the lovely voices of I and I... I and I. I and I. What about me? That's what I and I means. Oh, does it? Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't get that. It's okay. You're just going to be more cultured. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. <clears throat> Stop coughing. I can't help you it. You can. Keep it in. I can't. Um, yeah, it's been a, been, been a busy time for, um, for, for mum and dad. Um, <laughs> for your, for your pod- podcast, mum and dad. Um, just been busy it's been there's been a lot on um and these cases in particular like the the no man's sky case has been a big one it's been a Mm. lot of notes for that one a lot of research yeah originally i was going to do it as a one episode and then i was doing the research for it and i got literally like halfway through it and i was like this is already more than enough for one episode yeah it has i did realize today that it's gotten to the point now where I can't remember entirely. Yeah. Then I have to start making a list of cases we've covered because I was going to do, I was thinking of doing Richard, Richard Speck. Speck. yeah. And now that I, I don't think we have covered him, but I could not be asked to scroll through <laughs> like a hundred episodes. Is there a to way to out. like, to search it? I tried Googling Richard Speck and Best of Cold and nothing came up, but. Because does anything else come up when you do that? Just a bunch of articles about Richard Speck. But if you did like best served cold, like Ed Kemper, does anything come up at all? I didn't try. It doesn't come up. So maybe... Well, there you go. I don't think we have though. I know I haven't and I don't think you have. I don't know. It feels... I mean, it's a case I'm familiar with both because of... Mindhunter, the show and the book. 
Oh, now I want to watch Mindhunter again. We should watch that again. It's, it was fantastic. I'm going to start re-watching that tonight. But I don't know. I don't think we have. And it, it's true. It has gotten to that point because it's literally just a team of you and I. Yeah. Just doing this. So we... we it, it, it I has... wonder if people, like, don't believe us when we say that. Like, do, I mean, we're not rich and famous, so why would you not believe us? But Yeah, I mean, I guess when you I wish listen we had to a, a show, team of people. It makes things so much easier. I don't know. When you listen to a show, you kind of think, you know, that's them. They're, they're doing the show. Um... Mm. You know that they have a team of people doing this and that, whatever. But you, you, I mean, you don't really know who, who's doing whatever behind the scenes and who's constructing it or helping make that. Yeah, we're doing literally everything, everything. down to the graphic design of what Laura posts. Yeah, it she's just making. kind of we were just lucky that we had all those skills. Yeah, already. <clears throat> and and it does um sort of. Add a bit of pressure to the show, but we fucking love it. Man. Yeah. We love the show. And I feel like we kind of like got out of the groove of it with moving and the new year. And now yeah. I feel like we're kind of back in the groove a little bit. And I'm, I don't know. I, I like you forget how much you enjoy doing it when it becomes a part of your like weekly, your proper weekly routine. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because we say it all the time, but it's just such a bizarre thing to to have that image of just an audience in front of you. Mm. And, I, and I guess it's the same thing in reverse too. People looking at us or watching the show or listening to the show rather. Yeah. And going, you know, this is a show I can sort of disassociate the people behind it as it's just the show. Mm. But then you go into it and learn who, who we are behind the mics and it's yeah. just us, a couple who That's just That's why I like it when people like message, send us messages it's nice getting to talk to, I mean, yeah. not talk, but like message people and connect. And I know sometimes I'm not always the best at responding to them in a timely <clears throat> manner, uh, but I will always try my best to eventually get there. Get there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we had a lovely listener who sent us this really beautiful message talking about how she really liked how we were open about struggling with like mental health and mm. I don't know. It's just like, it's nice to know that you guys like to listen to that sort of stuff. Yeah. And I do, I've always strongly believed that the more people can just come to terms with talking about stuff like that in just a very like, Oh yeah, my mental health's not great. Like yeah. <clears throat> the same way that you'd be like, Oh yeah, I had a stomach bug last week. Like you wouldn't feel because that's the idea, isn't it? It's to to normalize and destigmatize these things that have so so long been odd the to talk about. Just changed on their own. It scared the shit out oh, of me. Oh, did they? Interesting. Yeah. We have a poltergeist. Yeah, but it's just I don't know. It's nice. Oh, I know why. Because I have an automation automation thing oh. with it. Well, there we go. It's not a poltergeist. It's just the wonders of technology. Yeah, but I think the idea is just to sort of destigmatize. Yeah, and the only way to do that is to just just to, just to talk do it. about it. Yeah, just to talk about it. 
But, you know, if you're ever not having a good week, sometimes it is easier to talk to someone that you, you don't, don't know. intimately know, yeah. So our DMs are always, you know, slide into them. Yeah. Not in a creepy way. Or in a creepy way if you want to. I'd really rather people didn't. Yeah. I mean, probably don't, yeah. <laughs> I'd really rather people didn't. What else has been happening? Um... I had a hens party on Saturday. That was fun. That was, yeah. Um, <clears throat> Did you get drunk? Oh, yeah. Is that even a question? I don't know. I'm just it's asking. a hens party. Yeah. I didn't get as drunk as the bride. Which is the goal. You want to you be sober enough so you know they're having a good time. Well, I was sober enough to <clears throat> help her vomit everywhere. So, yeah. So that'll help. Know. Yeah. She had fun though. That's all that matters. Exactly. What else? Oh, I've reignited. So random. Have you ever had one of those things where you haven't thought of something for like years mm-hmm. and then someone will mention, you're like, fuck, it's been a long time since I did X, Y, Z. Yeah, definitely. So that happened to me with Candy Crush. <laughs> someone randomly <clears throat> mentioned it and I was like, fuck, it's been a long time since I played Candy Crush. Sure enough, I've become well addicted to Candy Crush in like, it consumes, no, it doesn't consume my life, it consumes but it consumes me. me. Uh, yeah, that's the height of Think my excitement. Think about it too, is it, it looks like a genuinely enjoyable game. I love it because as someone who like has anxiety and self-diagnosed ADHD, I feel the need to say self-diagnosed. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm 99.9% sure. I mean, you're probably there. Yeah. It makes sense. My Family has it. I have all the symptoms. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, as someone who has those things, it's so nice to just switch my brain off. Like I don't need to think. I just swipe, which is so much more difficult since I absolutely smashed the shit out of my phone screen on Saturday night, which is a whole other thing. I need a new phone. If anyone feels like donating a new phone... Yeah. Wouldn't say no. Actually, nope. I would say no because that would be really weird. That would be really weird, yeah. Um, please, you don't have to buy me a new phone. Um, yeah, but I really love Candy Crush. <laughs> this is why I don't understand. I'm fascinated by the fact that people want to stay and listen to us literally talk shit for like 15 minutes. We yeah, hardly yeah. ever talk of anything of merit. I mean, sometimes, I mean, we talked about... Sometimes we get in very yeah. deep conversations. And then sometimes we're just like, yeah, yeah, so there's this thing called jump humping. Oh, stop bringing that up. <laughs> I just love bringing that up. Stop it. I'm going to have to like limit you. It's like once every yeah, that, six months. Yeah. Have to have a trigger warning at the start. Or like the. This episode contains mentions of jump, jump humping. humping. Um, I don't have much else to talk about. And I feel like my throat's also giving out. Really? Yeah. What gave it away? <clears throat> the fact that. that you can't go 30 seconds without coughing into the fucking microphone. Well, I can't help it. Yes, you can. I can't. Just do like that new TikTok trend where people try and drink a whole bottle of Sprite without burping. Oh, that's impossible. It's so funny. I don't know how, the, I don't know how you could do that. It's so funny. I heard, I saw this one video where these girls try and do it and she... The burp that comes out, it sounds like she's been possessed by a demon. Yeah. I burp after one sip of like kombucha. I would not last. Yeah. Or I would like, my, I have stomach issues. I'd like shit myself or something. <laughs> <me>. Like, 
it would like have a really I'm from drinking like a whole bottle of spray you just oh, shit who yourself. knows it's me like it is I, true, yeah. my i have so many stomach issues it's yeah. not funny it's either i'm i'm not going to talk no i'm not going to do that i'm not going to talk about my bowel movements Don't. on the podcast it is sporadic moving though. on it is very moving sporadic. on uh that's a conversation no one wants to hear yeah or do you no, slide I'm into not, our DMs we're not talking and about that. No. ask questions about Laura's gastrointestinal issues? Please don't. <laughs> I mean, you can if you really want to. I have no filter. Filter. I also can't speak, yeah, apparently. Yeah, at all. Um, you haven't done any more of the clay cheeses. I'm just noticing. <gasps> oh, I haven't. Um, if you That's partly because we're so broke yeah, right now. Yeah, dead broke, but yeah, it is what it is. Um, Next week, though. You yeah. wait. I'm gonna make so many clay things next week. It's happening. If you ha- if you haven't heard that segment of last week's or the last few couple of episodes, weeks yeah, uh, Laura's fascination now is is working with clay and specifically making little slices of Swiss cheese. But I did also see these candlestick holders that I really want to try, where it's basically like. You roll the clay out to make like a, a like a noodle, and then you like I I really don't know how to describe this in an auditory way. And then you like make a circle, but you like circle it on top to make like a spiral. Oh yeah, yeah. That the base of the candle then sits in, and they just look like cute little squiggle things. <laughs> I want to make some. You want to squiggle things. But I also need to get candles. I don't know. I just... Just fucking love working with my doing, hands, man. Doing creative things that have no end game is so good for my brain. Like, because I love doing creative things, but I have this really terrible habit of I'll do something and I'll be like, oh, wow, that thing that I made actually looked good. I'm going to try and monetize that. Yeah. And then, you know, you get stuck in that old... Chestnut. What's it called? Pipeline. Pipeline, yeah. Where you inevitably try and make money from it. Yeah, and you just don't end up... You end up not enjoying it. And you either fail at it and then it becomes depressing because you failed. Or you yeah. do start making money from it, but then it becomes a chore. And the initial joy you felt from doing that creative thing no longer exists. Like, I'm not going to tr- even try and sell fucking slices of fake cheese. So something like that, being able to make that where there's no pressure, I'm like, I wouldn't dream of trying. To- Who's going to buy a piece of fake cheese that mm, that yeah. you can make yourself in like two seconds from a $4 piece of clay I, from I Officeworks? Don't know. I think we might have to have, have to have to start selling this as merch. Fake pieces of Fake cheese. Pe- I think with a little BTS symbol on it. A, a BSC pod. Oh, uh, stop! Because now I want to do that, or just make it and give it away to people. Yeah, but I mean, hey, you're you're the listener. If that's what you want. Look, I'm not made of money, but real talk. If you live in Australia, because postage is so expensive. If you want a piece of fake cheese, I will actually make you a piece of fake cheese and send it to you. There you go. I'm putting that out there. I'm sadly going to have to limit it to Australia or New Zealand only because just Australian postage at yeah. the moment is ridiculous. I'm sure eventually we'll have 
I guess a more streamlined, not only a a, a better, more of a, a merch line, but a way. Yeah, I assume so. A way to sort of like ship to more people and things like yeah. that. Yeah, but I looked at getting a. There was a. Like a, a game master screen. It was so beautiful, for Dungeons for, and Dragons. Yeah. And it was like wooden and it was so beautiful. And it wasn't that expensive. It was like 80 bucks for this like really lovely handmade, beautiful thing where I was like, oh, maybe I'll treat myself $250 for postage from the States. Yeah, no. $250. That's like triple the cost of the actual item. Yeah, fam. It's ridiculous. So as much as I would love to send pieces of cheese to everyone... I am but one woman. <laughs> I am but a hum- humble cheese creator. I am creator. but a humble bard. <laughs> All right. But well, real talk, if you live in Australia and want a piece of cheese. Yeah, hit us up. I'll make you some cheese and send it. Um, where can everyone find us? You can find us, speaking of asking for pieces of cheese, you can find <laughs> us on all things social media at the BSC podcast. Yeah, on everything. On everything. YouTube, it's the same with streamlined. Twitter. We are on YouTube. If you I do like YouTube. I keep fucking forgetting to tell people that. Yes, yeah. I should have done that at the start. We're on YouTube. Yes. If you like to consume your true crime media consume in that way. Best serve cold. And you know the best way to consume it? With little pieces of fake cheese. No. Oh. It's... Best served cold. Oh, <laughs> damn. Full circle. And with first that. day at the rodeo. And with that, code word. Code oh, word we're is... we're so bad at this. We're so bad at this. Cheese. Because why not? Cheese. Code word is cheese. Code word is cheese. Um, send us in a DM of the, of the code word cheese. With the cheese emoji. You get no incentive whatsoever. Except our respect. Yeah. And, and our, to and know our... that you listened through this fucking shit show yeah. all the way to the end. Yeah. Anyway, thanks for listening. Thank you very much. If you want some cheese, hit me up. <laughs> Code word is cheese. The room is now made of cheese. And we'll cheese you guys next week. We're not meaning to cheese you off by talking too long. <laughs> oh, who cut the cheese? It's the end of the episode. Oh, okay. (laughs) Cheese. (laughs) Fuck. Do you know that we do that on on the same note every single time? Every week, because we've done it for like three years.